Hello and welcome to yet another summer update episode from Bavarian Podcast Works. We are on summer update number four. We will be covering all of the recent games from the Women's World Cup quarterfinals, and then we will go ahead and make our predictions for the semifinals. So I am joined today by... A man that just recently made his debut, our Twitter meister, Tom Adams. Tom, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for asking. Very glad to be back on the pod. Was very glad that my uh, podcast debut was not a complete disaster. Although my predictions for these games were 50-50, you know, feel pretty confident that uh, my predictions for the semis will be a little bit better. And now let's get into the pod. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get right into the football. So I guess the first game that we'll go ahead and take a look at is uh, Sweden and Germany, but we will not be doing any of the talking about it. That will be handed over to yet another new contributor, uh, our friend Marcus Iridal. So Marcus, why don't you go ahead and let us know what your thoughts were on the match? So yeah, as I mentioned in my article, I thought Sweden played fantastic against Germany. Germany came into the game with their rich history, their 15th game non-losing streak, which was the best out of all the teams in the tournament before this game. Their resources, their previous medals, and most importantly, they came into the game with four victories in this World Cup in four games where they have not let in a single goal. And because of Sweden's fantastic display now it's time for them to go home a maximum effort from all of the swedish players was required before this game and they they beat the odds in my opinion i thought it was one of the more entertaining games in in this world cup or at least from what i've seen under the unforgiving sun in ren sweden and germany played a thrilling exciting end-to-end game both teams tried to play direct and this was very evident, especially in the first half. There was not too much midfield play, so it was really a fun game to watch, especially the first half, which had chances from both sides constantly. Best player today, for me, it was 29-year-old Sofia Jakobsson, who, when not on international duty, plays for Montpellier. She reminded me of Ronaldinho in his prime. Quite tall for being a winger, but she has excellent technique and I was very impressed by her overall playmaking ability. She constantly made clever runs, she constantly dribbled past German defenders and made it all look so easy. The other two strikers, Stina Blakenius and uh, Bayern player who will be leaving for Wolfsburg next season, Fridolina Rolfe, was fantastic as well. Um, Sweden's front three, I thought, won them the game today. Even though Sweden only had 42% ball possession, the clever and effective off-ball running by Jakobsson, Blakstenius and Rolfe made them a team who always had an attacking outlet. Their midfielders always had at least Blakstenius or Jakobsson making incredibly clever runs. The, the, that trio zigzagged around the German defense whenever the midfield had the ball. Kosovare Aslani, who normally plays forward, sat deeper today and showed her vision and overall passing skills in a attacking midfielder role. She did great the whole game, not only in her passing, but in her constant pressure. She pressured the German defense constantly and consider, considering it was 35 plus degrees today, uh, that was quite impressive as well. The fast readjustment runs from Sweden 
and especially from the Swedish front three, was too much for the German defense to handle. I don't think Germany played a particularly bad game. All in all, I think they had a quite good tournament. Before today, as I said, they did not let in a single goal. They played very well their four games uh, before uh, this quarterfinal. And again, I don't think they played very bad today. Yet, I do feel that this was a deserved victory for Sweden. Uh, Jakobsson, Blackstenius and Rolfe, um, they found the recipe to beat the German side today. They found the recipe to score two goals. I also thought 36-year-old goalkeeper Hedvig Lindahl was outstanding as well today and made some important saves. Uh, she is currently clubless. Her last club was Chelsea FC, but her experience has been shown throughout the tournament. Uh, she has been fantastic. She saved a penalty against Canada, and she's been overall a very um, stable and experienced goalkeeper, which I think is very, very important. Obviously, as I, I am a Swedish national, I am ecstatic. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think they would win today. And I was so, so, so positively surprised to see this uh, to see this exciting Swedish team. Sweden will miss Fridolina Rolfa in the semifinals due to disciplinary reasons. She got her second yellow card today against Germany. They might also miss centre-back Nila Fischer as she was forced to be substituted due to injury against uh, Germany. So these are two big blows and also considering Sweden lost to the Netherlands in the 2017 Euros, the Netherlands has to be considered favourites in the semi-final. Although I think it's clear that you should not count out the Swedish side. When everything goes well for them, they're a top-class team. Their coach, Peter Gerhardsson, uh, took over after Pia Sundhage, which is a Swedish football legend and a pioneer in the Swedish women's football game. Peter Gerhardsson has made the Swedish play or the whole game plan more offensive. Um, when Sweden was coached by Sundhage, they were they were more defensive. The Swedish team who reached the Olympics final in 2016 got to the final by playing a Mourinho type of football. Uh, very park the bus, very defensive. Gerhardsson has made them play more offensive with a team that presses more up the field. Um, although Sweden still... In this tournament, we've seen Sweden sit back. Um, I think it is the fast transitions uh, that won them the game today. And that Gerhardsson should get a lot of credit for that. Thank you, Marcus. Now, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next game. An absolutely dominant performance on the top half of the bracket. Norway losing to England 3-0 in the very first game of the quarterfinals. Tom, this was... uh, (laughs) This was the uh, this was the first of the two uh, mispredictions that you had had. It was kind of a shock to me when you actually ended up picking Norway, being the uh, England supporter that you are. But what did you think after uh, after watching this game and seeing the absolute dominance from England? Of course, it was my first prediction, and I got it terribly wrong. I think I had said two nil to Norway, uh, sneaking away with a winner. It might have even been two one. Nonetheless. It was so wrong, but just what I do have to say is uh, credit to Phil Neville uh, and the England coaching staff for getting this side regrouped, and despite having that 3-0 win against Cameroon, I mean, this was a more uh, complete, comprehensive 3-0 win, and I think they played far, far better uh, than they did against Cameroon. I mean, they just started off so strong, and I believe uh, Jill Scott's goal was actually the quickest goal in uh, World Cup history for England. I guess they had never scored 
a, a goal quicker than that. And again, it was just a lovely assist from Lucy Bronze. And you wonder if that was an intentional dummy from uh, Ellen White uh, en route to that goal um, when it was making its way to Jill Scott. But nonetheless, it didn't really uh, affect the, the pace of the ball, um, you know, getting to Jill Scott. And it, it was a fine finish. And then, you know, really in, the, in that opening stages of the first half, I mean, it was kind of one-way traffic for England. I mean, Norway did have their chances, but what I noticed about their chances in that match, um, a good portion of them did come from just uh, unforced errors that England were making at the back, um, I think the U.S. Uh, looking at the, that game going into Tuesday's crucial semifinal clash, um, they can really look to pounce on that, you know, pressing high and making England uncomfortable uh, at the back and, and capitalizing on those opportunities, forcing them into mistakes that they, they really shouldn't be making. Um, and then again, just uh, just rounding out that performance, Lucy Braun, she had that very cheeky uh, goal from the... Uh, routine on the set piece the little short free kick uh, played it in nicely um and it, and it was a well-deserved uh, 3-0 win you know I, I really unfortunately thought Norway would have uh, a lot more a lot more bark and a lot more bite uh, but it did seem especially after going down so early that they really had to uh, you know change their tactics so early on and and kind of adapt to uh, going down and that really did affect the way that they they had to play, and they they really just couldn't get a um, consistent foot forward, so to speak. And I, I just think it's such a shame because they were one of the most exciting teams, especially without their uh, their star at a Hedeberg. Um, you wonder, you know, in this situation, a game like this, how they might have fared had she been there. But again, I, I think Norway needs to hold their heads up high. They showed uh, great strength uh, in this tournament, and I think that they were one of the most exciting teams to watch. But um, England, you know, they they really um, really got it done this match, and and the U.S. should worried. And to give this Norway team some credit, I don't really know if they could have fared much better with Hegeberg in the lineup in this game. Fifty percent possession, eighty percent pass accuracy, covering over a hundred and thirteen kilometers, which was the same as England. The only problem, I guess, was that they had eleven attempts; three were on target versus the seven attempts on target out of 17 for England. So just getting those chances up would have easily helped Norway advance in this round. And like you mentioned, they uh, they were a really good team and they really pressed high and did very well against England. But you give up a goal three minutes in and it's going to be a little rough for anybody hoping to go ahead and advance. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the other half of the bracket to Italy versus the Netherlands. We were really hoping for yet another installment in the great German-Dutch rivalry, but that won't happen because the Germans didn't advance. The Dutch did advance. They handled Italy pretty easily. Two goals coming very late from Miedema and Vandergracht, but 2-0 was the final score. Looking statistically, the uh, the Dutch put up 21 shots to Italy's six. Granted, Italy had two of those six on target, but nearly 60% possession for uh, the Orangi and 82% pass accuracy. 
in terms of possession and in terms of getting those chances up, we mentioned before that Italy was a team that was pretty comfortable with counterattacking and sitting back and letting teams come to them, but I believe that I mentioned that that's the exact game that the Dutch like to play and that it would be really rough and that Italy might need to adapt, and I was right. That Dutch team pressed high and they kept the pressure on to Italy and they ended up cracking. Tom, what did you see in this game? Yeah, a lot of what you had just said, and just to reiterate going back to the stats, I mean, the Dutch did outplay the Italians in every single category, Um, and I think from an Italian perspective, what you have to look at um, is just they were really made to rue the missed chances early on in the game. I mean, I thought that Italy... Um, did actually look a little bit the better side in the opening stages in the first half. Uh, you know, uh, Valentina Bergameschi, she should have done better with that chance in the 17th minute. It looked like she was maybe trying to side foot it and come at it from an angle where she would generate some power on it, but it, she kind of wound up just undercutting the ball, didn't really have any pace on it. You know, it was an easy save for the keeper. And just not too long after that, she had another shot. I believe it was from just inside the the top of the left corner of the 18-yard box, and she just pulled it a little bit too much, and it went went by the uh, the far post. Um, and then you also have to wonder, you know, how much that heat played a factor in that game. I mean, the Italians just seemed to kind of run out of steam during the end of the game, especially after, you know, those two goals on the set pieces from the Dutch. And I think it was something like the 31st minute where the um, – the referee had to call for a mandatory water break for both teams. Um, but again, you know, the Dutch, you know, they made that tactical substitution at halftime. Uh, I think it was Lineth uh, Bernenstein or Berenstein um, had come on for Shannis Vandensanden. And I think that definitely showed to have made a difference, um, kind of a creative attacking midfielder. Um, and then the chances really started to come for the Dutch, you know, right out of the gates in the second half. And then uh, it did take, did take a while, but I think the Italians were just kind of uh, pinned against it. And like you had said, especially in the second half, you know, living on the counterattacks and then just a lovely taken header from a set piece in the 70th minute by Vivian Medima. And then again, 10 minutes later from Stephanie van de Gracht. I think I said that right. That's actually uh, trying to mimic Derek Ray's calls on that. The uh, Scottish commentator, who's one of my favorite uh, for the Bundesliga in any sports. So Van de Gracht, 80th minute, sealed the deal. And again, just Italy just looks so exhausted late on trying to chase the game. And I think, again, uh, it'll just come down to them ruining those missed chances early on. It could have been an entirely different story had they converted those. But, you know, um, it's, there's always has, there always has to be a loser. So I think the Italians should take some solace in the, uh, you know, some of the tough games they had earlier in the group stages coming down from 1-0 down to beat Australia. You know, a little bit unlucky to have lost 1-0 to Brazil. But, um, you know, great tournament from them, but the Dutch go through. And it's always very rough when you're trying to play this tournament in the middle of a record heat wave. Uh, as you mentioned, it is obviously very hard for any team to go ahead and try to perform to their best. But... The Dutch were able to go ahead and do that, and they advanced to the next round where they will play Sweden. Meanwhile, the final game of the quarterfinals was the game that had the most hype around it, a game that many people believed should have probably been the World Cup final. In that case, if it was the World Cup final, then I would have been very happy with the result, as would you have, Tom, as the United States defeated France 2-1. Unlike what I 
believed would be after penalties. Uh, they were able to do it in regular time, in full time. Megan, my president, Rapino, delivering early and often uh, with a fifth-minute goal that should have easily been deflected. Uh, if you haven't seen it, she takes a ball and sends it right towards the uh, goal, but she sends it in low, and somehow it goes underneath the legs of absolutely everybody sitting in front of that goal, and it just trickles in. And then her second goal coming in the 65th minute after a nice, solid, low, calm cross across the open mouth of the goal. Uh, Wendy Renard making it a little bit difficult for the United States in the 81st, but the uh, the Yanks were able to go ahead and advance to the semifinals. The Americans have yet to be eliminated in the quarterfinals of a World Cup. Some of the lineups were a little bit questionable, especially the decision of Jill Ellis to start Lindsay Horan, who is arguably one of the best players in this tournament, arguably one of the best midfielders, not only on the American side, but in the world on the bench. She is still on a yellow card, which may be the logic behind that. However, having a player like Lindsey Horan start on the bench for what we all believed was going to be the Americans' toughest game, Tom, was a very questionable decision. Yeah, and it's funny you end on that note, because I remember when we were previewing this game uh, and going over uh, the U.S.'s win against Spain, I called for Jill Ellis to please start Lindsay Horan, but now I'm made to eat my own words because, again, she went with uh, Rose Lavelle, Julia Ertz, uh, and Sammy Mewis in the midfield, and I thought that they, all three of those midfielders played excellent. And Jill Ellis, you know, um, when you have such a deep squad uh, like the U.S. does, it can be difficult at times to figure out the best 11 uh, to put out for any given match, but credit to her, she did it uh, in what she described in her press conference ahead of the England match as one of the most intense atmospheres uh, at the Parc de Prince that uh, the U.S. has ever played in. And, and again, speaking to that, that goes to mentality. You know, one of the things that the U.S. have over a lot of the other teams in this tournament, even France being the home team, is just that mentality. I mean, there's pretty much nothing in this tournament that they're not used to. Um, Yes, you could say they haven't conceded a goal early and they haven't gone down and had to chase a lead. But if they did, I think one thing in the back of the minds of their opponent would be, you know, this is the U.S. They have a very tough mentality. There's nothing that they're not, you know, ready for or capable of dealing with uh, in these games. So they always have the upper hand in that respect. And just to go back to some of the key pieces of the the win versus France, I mean, just the uh, the value of scoring early, as you mentioned, Rapino's free kick made its way through a number of bodies. I think it was Julie Ertz, who was one of the players who had made a uh, run that kind of uh, cut across the French goalkeeper and made it really difficult right at the uh, the end moment for her to see it, uh, and it went in. and And just I was so impressed with the uh, the defensive unit uh, from the United States: Sauerbrunn, Dahl Comper, Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara. I thought they did so well. Um, especially if you look at the stats, like France outpossessed the U.S. in this game, but I thought that back line did so well moving as a unit uh, in synchronicity, you know, knowing when to step up for the offside trap, knowing when to back off and, and let France pass around a little bit, um, and knowing when to, to step and go in for the challenges. And I think uh, one of the players who really shone for me um, in that respect was Crystal Dunn. I mean, I thought she had a phenomenal game when she was beaten, she used her pace to get back and recover. She knew when to step forward to make the challenges. She knew when to tuck in, when to cut out more wide. She knew when to hold her runs going forward. She knew when to 
uh, do the opposite of that and, and burst forward and join in on the attack. And I, I just think a player like her deserves a special shout-out. Um, and then again, another player who uh, really got involved more, um, a lot more, I should say, than they did during the Spain game was Alex Morgan. You know, I think she struggled and got very isolated in the Spain game and got fouled quite a bit. And obviously it's very difficult uh, to play 80% of the game with your back to goal, especially when you're getting fouled. I thought she did a really good job in the France game, you know, using those deeper spaces when she was forced to come back, you know, holding the ball up well, finding her teammates. If you actually go back and look at the buildup to the second goal, it was actually Morgan who drops to a bit deeper of a position, and then she was the one who played that wide through ball to Tobin Heath, and then obviously Tobin Heath played that brilliantly weighted uh, kind of like, she looks almost looks like she undercut the ball, so it had a little bit of backspin on it um, to take off some of the pace. And then who else? Megan Rapino, Mrs. World Cup. That's what we should start calling her now because she is just taking this tournament by storm um, and running with it. But, yeah, brilliant finish. Um, and then going back to that piece on mentality, as you mentioned, Wendy Renard did make life difficult for the U.S. at the end. I thought Alyssa Nair was forced into a lot of saves, um, especially towards the closing stages of the second half. But, again, that U.S. mentality weathering that storm, even with the French crowd going crazy after Renard had equalized, that mentality is, is going to be you know, uh, one of the pieces that gets them to the final if they are able to, to beat England. And I, I would say that the U.S. showing the response from Spain to France that they did show, they have to be the favorites. And I, I did see this thing. I'm not sure exactly why it happened or what exactly it means, but I guess uh, Phil Neville was asked. I guess there was a few U.S. Um, staff members that were uh, looking around England's team hotel now, they didn't really get into specifics, but I'm not really sure exactly what the deal is with that. He was kind of laughing about it. I don't think there's anything to it, but again, I, ju I just think the U.S. are the stronger team, and I'm sure we might get into predictions, but I think you know who I'm going to pick for that one. Absolutely, and even looking statistically at this France, this France game before we go ahead and move on into those final predictions, you'd be really shocked to uh, have heard, if you didn't read the scoreline, that the United States had won that match. France had 60% possession, they had... 21 shots to the U.S.'s nine. The U.S. only had 66% pass completion. In that regard, it was kind of a sloppy game, but if you looked at the actual uh, at the actual product, the Americans were able to shut the French side down and really impose their will on that game, which hopefully they will do going into the semifinals, which is where we will leave this podcast and we will come right back with our quick predictions. We'll be right back after this message. And we're back. So now we are going to move on into our predictions, starting with the opposite side of the bracket with the second game of the two, the Dutch versus the Swedish. So, Tom, why don't you go ahead and tell me uh, and the audience who you think is going to advance out of that one. So this is such a tough one, and I'm sure... Marcus will be listening with um, with very sharp ears to what I say on this one. But going off of that, one thing I do like about this Swedish team is their ability, uh, game management, you know, credit to Peter Gerhardsen for, you know, making some of the changes he's made. And I believe Sweden is actually, now that uh, the Italians have been knocked out, the only team that has actually lost a game in this World Cup that's still in it. With that said, I think they can... 
I'm going to say 2-1 Sweden after extra time just because I think they're one of the most tactically sound teams in this tournament. The way that they're able to make adjustments in games, whether it's halftime, middle of the first half, middle of the second half, late on, you know, extra time if needed. They do have that height defensively as well for uh, set pieces, which obviously as the uh, the Dutch showed against the Italians is an area where they are very strong. So I'm sure Marcus will be happy to hear that I'm going to say uh, 2-1 to Sweden after extra time. That's a very interesting prediction, and they are a good team, and I definitely believe in them. Uh, and, of course, when you look at the uh, roster, you've got Black Stenius, who's been sending in goals all over the place, uh, Sembrandt and Ilstedt and Anderson and uh, Lindahl really controlling their own half. However... This Dutch team is uh, really good at attacking and pressing. I think that Sweden may fall into the same trap that Italy does when it comes to playing the Dutch. Italy was a very good defensive team and was good at playing counterattacks, as was Sweden when they really went ahead and let Germany come to them in that in that win that it let them move on. I don't think think that it works for them this time. This Dutch team is just incredibly volatile. I'm going to go same score line on your prediction and same prediction of extra time, but I think the Dutch beat the Swedish 2-1 to one to advance to their first ever final. And I will add, if the Swedish do pull it off and the United States goes ahead and advances, that will be a very good rematch from the 2016 Olympic quarterfinals when the Swedish knocked out the Americans, which I believe was one of the last times that they got knocked out before the um, before the semifinals of a major tournament. So that will be interesting for them. But first, if the U.S. has to go ahead and try to do that, they will need to beat England uh, in the first set of semifinals. I'm going to go ahead and go first. It does not matter whether this was 2019 or 1776, because just like the American Revolution, the Yanks are going to beat the British. Uh, the British may be coming, but the Americans will be beating them back, just like Lexington, Concord, and Yorktown before them. Shout out to all of our British followers that listen to this podcast uh, for all of the American uh, Revolution jokes. But trust me when I say that this England team is going to make it incredibly hard for the Americans. Fran Kirby, Georgia Stanway coming off the bench is very good, but of course, you've got Lucy Bronze in the back. You've got phenomenal players that all contribute and work together. I think this will be a high-scoring match. I think it will be a very close match, and I think Phil Neville is going to uh, be sent home crying. Uh, sorry, England fans. It's not coming home. Uh, my final score prediction for this one is going to be 4-3 United States because both teams are not like Sweden and not like Italy and that one likes to sit in the back. Both of them are very comfortable with running up and down the field all day. If Jill Ellis decides to actually start Lindsay Horan, 
I think that that would be good if we get a midfield three of Ertz, Lavelle, and Haran, then I think that it would be a very rough time for England. I can see a lot of running up and down the field all day for both of these teams, but I think the Americans are going to go away with it. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts? I was going to say, um, when I was listening to you on that prediction, you stole my thunder a bit, but um, I could turn it in and easily just say that great minds think alike. I was going to mention the rematch from that 2016 Olympic Games final. You know, that's that's what I want, uh, the revenge, so to speak, from that, from that final. So a USA-Sweden final, obviously, is what I'm going with. But I think in... As far as the uh, the USA England game, I can easily see a three one happening, um, and kind of chronologically, I can see another early goal from the US, maybe through a Pino. I would definitely like to see Alex Morgan get back on the score sheet since she hasn't uh, been on there since the absolute rout of Thailand, um, and then England equalizing, and then the US getting a goal uh, in the second half, and then nipping a third. You know, as England are are chasing the game and committing numbers forward, I think the US will hit them on the counter attack. But again, like you said, England do have some very good players to watch out for. Uh, one player who I, I just kind of skipped over and forgot to mention um, when we were uh, recapping England's win in the uh, the quarterfinals was Nikita Paris. I thought that she was one of the best players on the pitch. Um, I thought that she really did a good job. She was that constant link between uh, turning defense into attack. You know, she was always that out ball and she would, you know, kind of dribble the ball maybe 20, 30 yards and always be looking for her teammates or maybe take a couple steps in either direction to open up some space for herself, assess what was in front of her. Um, and I believe it was the second goal that she had assisted to. And then I think she was the one who even missed the uh, the England penalty. Uh, I was going to say that um, she was one player who was definitely deserving of a goal in that game. Um, and then, like you said, Lucy Bronze in the back, Stephanie Houghton both dangerous on set pieces if England are able to uh, rack up some corner kicks. Always a threat. Um, and that's a good shout, too, for the the midfield. I think you said of Ertz, uh, Haran, uh, and Lavelle. Not to discredit uh, Mewis. I think she's had a great tournament. But, again, like players like uh, like Nikita Paris, you do have to negate that threat. Um, so I think that Jill Ellis might have to weigh the option whether she wants to um, go with maybe two holding midfielders um, or just one in Julia Ertz and the other two more attacking-minded. But um, again, as I had said, U.S. score early, England equalize at some point in the first half, U.S. get a second goal in the second half and nip a late one as England are chasing it. And, um, you know, obviously I do have a lot of Liverpudlian-ness in me, and I'm a big Liverpool fan, so England does have a place in my heart. But, um, you know, to Phil Neville... I still hate Everton, hate Manchester United with a passion, and uh, Gareth Southgate was the original one to pull off the uh, the tie in the navy blue vest, and Phil Neville, yeah, maybe not so much. So 3-1 U.S., USA-Sweden final. That'll be an interesting final if that's the case. Uh, so I guess with that, we are going to go ahead and wrap up this summer update. Uh, we will go ahead and make sure to update any other information if say there is a transfer coming down the pipeline uh maybe soon coming out of england about some person named callum hudson adoy we don't know but until that happens you can be sure to follow us on twitter at bavarian fb works you can follow me on twitter at jefferson fenner tom where can they find you whenever you aren't busy running the uh main twitter account for the blog 
going to say your best bet is to just just follow the uh, Bavarian Footballers account. 90% of the time, it's me tweeting out, but I also do have a personal handle, and that is TommyAdam71. Every once in a while, I'll pop in there, tweet some funny stuff, tweet some maybe Premier League stuff, random stuff like that, so always keep a lookout. And for all of your high-quality transfer rumors, German and Bavarian soccer content, you can be sure to follow us on our blog BavarianFootballWorks.com So, for all of us here at the Podcast Division, thank you very much for listening to this Summer Update episode. Be sure to like us, rate us, subscribe to us, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you will get your quality audio content. And please be sure to drop some comments in the blog post that is attached to this episode. We will look at your feedback and we will take it into account. So until next time, when we give updates on the transfer rumors, as well as preview the Women's World Cup final match, we will see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.